Ready? Born ready. You are tuning in to another episode of Where to Party At. I'm your host, Saba Long. Thank you for rocking with us. I know there are so many podcasts that you could be listening to, but you are listening to us, and we appreciate that. We've got a great show for you this week. Uh, Let's get right into it. Well, actually, before we get right into it, I just want to take a second and acknowledge the terrible uh, deaths that occurred in Arkansas, Kentucky, and Tennessee from those crazy tornadoes is just absolutely crazy to watch and see the devastation. I mean, you have like the town completely ripped apart. Uh, my prayers go out to the families impacted by this. It's always sad to lose a loved one, but it's even worse when it happens around the holidays. So prayers out for you all. All right, so December. Now, this is supposed to be a chill month, not too much going on, but in Atlanta and Georgia and in politics, it is hot, hot, hot. Coming in. So, a couple episodes we talked about redistricting. Now, that's the process of redrawing the political maps based on the latest census data. And here it's causing a sea change in local and state politics. Now, we had already talked about Congresswoman Lucy McBath in Cobb County. Her district is being drawn to include way more Republicans. So it's going to become a safe seat for Republicans. And next door in Gwinnett County, Congresswoman Carolyn Bordeaux's seat is being redrawn to make it safer for Democrats. So Republicans will pick up Lucy's seat, which is now a Democratic seat but it's going to become a Republican seat. So all of this is becoming, is causing musical chairs in the state house and in the state Senate. And it's also because of the statewide races and folks are leaving their current positions to run for statewide office. Now, speaking of that one race I'm interested in seeing is state Senate district six. That's currently held by Jen Jordan. She's running for attorney general and uh, Atlanta public school board chairman, Jason Estevez just announced he's going to run for that seat. Now, Jason just did get reelected to the school board in November. So that means Atlanta is probably going to end up having a special election to replace Jason because he'll be leaving that school board seat to run for the state Senate seat. By the way, if you were frustrated by the extreme partisanship that's happening in our state, in our country, you can thank redistricting for that because these seats are always drawn in such a way that it guarantees a win for only that one party. So there's not actual competition. The fix is in and the win is guaranteed, except for the statewide races. Now, you all know all eyes are going to be on Georgia in 2022, just like they were last year. Uh, David Perdue has announced that he's going to challenge Governor Kemp, uh, Brian Kemp, for uh, the governor of Georgia, Now, this wasn't just like any old announcement. David Perdue came in and caused an absolute storm. Now, Brian Kemp, uh, the governor, was on Fox News over the weekend. Listen to a snippet from that TV interview. David Perdue, however, in his announcement uh, for running in this primary, uh, slammed you. Take a listen. 
Unfortunately, today, we are divided, and Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger are to blame. Look, I like Brian. This isn't personal. It's simple. He has failed all of us and cannot win in November. What's your response to that, Governor? Well, the guy, I guess, can't get over the fact that he lost a 33-year-old nobody uh, and is trying to find blame on anybody, and he's not being truthful with people. And while David Perdue was at home playing golf for nine months, we passed the Election Integrity Act. You know, his campaign and his lawyers, they could have been in the courtroom. If he saw these things going on, they could have challenged the election. They could have asked for a recount. Uh, he's just out to blame other people. I'm not doing that. I'm going to be running on my record, which is a dang good one. And I'm looking forward to talking to the voters about that, whether it's against him, anybody else in the primary, and certainly Stacey Abrams. Do you feel, though, Governor, that you're kind of running against former President Trump? I mean, he's weighed in already on this primary. He, he weighed in saying this will be very interesting. And I can't imagine that Brian Kemp, who has hurt election integrity in Georgia so badly, can do well at the ballot blocks unless the election is rigged. Of course, he costs us two Senate seats and a presidential victory in the great state of Georgia. That's the former president clearly weighing in on this Republican Right. So Purdue uh, is coming in absolutely hot against Brian Kemp. And I wonder, I don't, you know, uh, this may or may not happen, but I wonder if Brian Kemp is going to pull a Keisha Lance Bottoms and end up deciding not to run because the primary is going to get too hot. I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so Purdue has joined a lawsuit that claims that fake ballots were counted in Fulton County. We know this is not true. The Secretary of State, Bad Raffensperger, has already investigated this and found that it was a lie. This is known nationally as the big lie, that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. But here's the reality. There are many Republicans who do believe the election was stolen. What's interesting is this theory, this belief, this lie is based on how Republicans consume the news. So according to research from the Public Religion Research Institution, if a Republican listens to or reads mainstream news, they're only 23% completely in agreement that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. But if they consume Fox News, that number jumps to 46%. And then if they consume right-wing news like Newsmax, or OAN, that number goes all the way up to 74%. White evangelicals are 61% likely to believe that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. So if you're wondering, wondering why David Perdue is coming out of the gate saying what he's saying, that explains why. He is hell-bent on locking up those voters. Uh, and the irony here is that some of those folks who have that belief are the very same people who did not go back and vote for him in January in the runoff because Trump had convinced them that the election was stolen and their votes didn't even matter. So if a Republican does believe the election was stolen, who do they vote for? Do they even vote, right? Purdue, who is championing, you know, do they say, okay, Purdue is championing my beliefs, I'm going to vote for him? Or do they vote for Kemp, who says, no, the election was in fact not stolen. Uh, a PBS NewsHour slash NPR slash Marist poll in October showed that 82% of Democrats said they would trust the results of the 2024 presidential election uh, 
even if their candidate did not win. Now, only 33% of Republicans said they would trust those results. So we've got some real issues here around election integrity and trusting the electoral process. Now, by the way, a Harvard poll released a couple of weeks ago showed that if the Republican presidential primary, that's the one that's going to happen in 2024, if that were held today, 67% of those polled said they would vote for President Trump. And if Trump does not run in 2024, their first pick is Ron DeSantis, who is the governor of Florida. Uh, he's at 30%, followed by former Vice President Mike Pence at 25%. So what I'm curious about is the Republicans who are troubled by the state of the party, who don't think the election was stolen, again, what do they do? What do they do at the state level? What do they do at the national level? So while Stacey Abrams is going to have a very uneventful primary, Kemp, Purdue, and maybe to some extent Vernon Jones will be having a knockdown, dragout fight. Uh, now, one area I think Stacey can try to win over voters and probably do a pretty good job at it is talking about health care in Georgia. Now, we know on the Republican side, there's going to be a lot of conversation around social issues, things like the vaccine, things like gay rights, things like Black Lives Matter. And I think Stacey will be able to put forth a campaign that's about issues, things that people actually care about at the end of the day. The AJC just recently reported that in the past 10 years, eight rural hospitals have closed in Georgia. Now, this is as Governor Kemp has refused to expand Medicaid. Right. And so I think healthcare, particularly given what has happened in the pandemic and the hospitals having been overwhelmed, could be one of those issues uh, that really get, makes voters think long and hard about who they're going to vote for in that uh, gubernatorial race. By the way, you guys remember our Who Runs Atlanta interview series for the Atlanta election. We're gearing up for Who Runs Georgia. Stay tuned for those interviews. Those will be with Republicans and Democrats who are running for statewide office because we want you to hear from both parties. What's the name of this podcast? Where the party at? All right. So before we go to the next segment, um, I do want to just do a little bit about Atlanta, what's going on there. Mayor-elect Andre Dickens was on Tiffany Cross's show on MSNBC over the weekend. He talked about how the new voting laws that were passed in the last session impacted the mayor's race and what that's going to be like in 2022. Take a listen. Well, first, Tiffany, uh, congratulations and happy anniversary to you. And thank you. I'm excited to be the 61st mayor of Atlanta. And you just mentioned two of my good friends, Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock. Both of them will be on the ballot in November of 22. And I'll tell you, just uh, a week and a half ago, we saw the negative effects of SB 202. That's the, the voter suppression bill that came out of the state. Even in a municipal election for mayor and city council, we saw 
saw the problems that persisted. Things related to provisional ballots as well as absentee and mail-in ballot issues. These problems had folks that had to mail in a ballot to be able to mail in an application with their ID to then get a ballot back and then send that ballot back with their ID. You can imagine how difficult that was for seniors and individuals that didn't have access to printers, etc. It played out in our election and made it where we only had we had less than a 20 percent turnout in the municipal election. And imagine how that's going to play out in the uh, the larger elections for governor and Senate. And so what we're going to have to do is do what Atlanta's do well. Atlanta's influence everything and we influence across the state. And we're going to have to really, really push to educate our voters and to get them turned out so that they can vote. All right. So expect Atlanta uh, to have a big role in the gubernatorial race and all those statewide uh, down ballot races. So broadening our lens here to look at what's happening nationally, Biden last week, uh, President Biden and the White House hosted a democracy summit. Now, the point of this summit was to push back against countries like China and Russia. Now, Russia, if you don't know, is this close to invading the Ukraine. And I'm sure you've all heard about China allegedly disappearing people, including Jack Ma, who is one of the most popular billionaires in China. Where they at, though? Where, where they at, though? Now, at this summit, President Biden promised that the U.S. would spend more than $400 million in 2022 to support independent media and do anti-corruption work. Now, I've got to admit, when I first heard this, I thought, can we start at home, like in America? And China and Russia basically said, America, y'all need to start at home. So they said the same thing. Here's what they put out in a joint statement. There is no need to worry about democracy in Russia and China. Certain foreign governments better think about themselves and what is going on in their own homes. Is it freedom when various rallies in their countries are dispersed with rubber bullets and tear gas. It does not look very much like freedom. Like, well, dang, okay. And then that was a direct response to the many protests that have occurred last year in the aftermath of the George Floyd protests. There were also uh, protests that happened in European countries like France, uh, where similar situations occurred. So the other question is, what does it mean for America's democracy when the future of our political parties is, you know, a bit unclear? Pew Research, and then this is one of the most reputable research institutes out there. They just did a survey and found that folks 30 and under don't identify with one party or another. Now, they might lean towards one party, but they don't actually identify as being a member of that party because they don't think either party truly represents their interests. Now, this is no surprise, right? And so I'm curious to see, you know, in the, the whole notion of what does democracy look like when you've got a large swath of the country who is really not happy with where things are going and not happy with either party. So I don't know if you've been paying attention to this, but since the pandemic started, there has been a lot of worker strikes, like big ones. Now, in Georgia, we've seen Hollywood film crews go on strike, but I'm going to highlight what's happening in the bigger picture in corporate America. 
So the latest big strike news is Kellogg's. Now, that's the cereal company. I did not realize what all Kellogg's owns. It's way beyond just cereal. So they own Cheez-Its, they own Pop-Tarts, they own Pringles, and then some of the vegan meat stuff like Morningstar Farms. So it's far, so that's like half of what. Why, why you put quotations around the meat? Because it's not real meat. It's just I didn't speak for the meat. Like, I, hey, I was vegan for a while. I'm, I'm, I'm a part-time vegan. I'm an impossible person, though. Not more than a star. I agree. I agree. Bougie. <laughs> <Dang>. <laughs> so at Kellogg's, like 1,400 people, 1,400 workers started striking on October 5th. Now, two months later, on December 5th, the union rejected what Kellogg's put forth, which was a 3% pay increase. Two days later, on December 7th, Kellogg's announced it was replacing all 1,400 workers. One of those folks striking is Stacy Hartman, a Marine vet. I want you to take a listen to her story. I have worked 60, 62 days in a row, and most of them were 12s, couple 16s, but not a day off, not one, not a day off. I mean, they do not care if you have kids. They don't care if you have a family that you need to support. They don't care if you have a soccer, your kid has a soccer game. I'm closer to people in the Kellogg's than I am with my family. True story. I barely see my mom. I barely see my sisters. I work with my wife, but I barely see her either because, you know, we're on different schedules and stuff like that. It's it. They're more my family than my family is. I really wish that it was the same company that it was 10 years ago when they actually cared. They actually, it was quality. Like everybody cared about the cereal we make. Everybody did. Because we were all equals too. The gist here is Kellogg forced their workers to put in 72 to 84 hours a week. Now, in 2015, the company changed their salaries and benefits. So what they did was if you'd been with the company for a long time, you would keep those salary and benefits. But if you were a new person, so if you just got hired, you're going to be paid much less. And the impact of this was to the tune of someone doing the same job coming in day one versus someone having that job in day, I don't know, let's just say day 1200. And they were making thirty or forty thousand less than the person who had been there longer, thirty to forty thousand less per year. That's a significant impact. So, in re in retaliation to Kellogg, basically saying we're getting rid of all of you folks who uh, did the strike, folks on the internet are spamming Kellogg's website with fake job applications. I mean, the internet is just brilliant. So, <laughs> they're they're scamming. Uh, Kellogg's with fake job applications and fake resumes uh, so that they're in it. They're thinking that they're getting new people, but they're being inundated with just spam accounts. Uh, now, President Biden called the move to replace the striking workers a threat to unions. And the fact is so many workers across the country are mobilizing to form unions. Can I say what uh, that, that, that story? I did not know about this. Stacey Hartman says, you sell your soul to Kellogg's, you retire, and then you die. I don't want to be that person 
I want the future to be better than it is now. That's crazy. Yeah. But I mean, that's, that's the reality. If you're working 60, 70, 80 hours a week and you're not having time off to spend with your family, all you are doing, you were a machine. You were just putting out a product and you're going home to sleep and then you're repeating it at the repeating it the next day. It's, it's, uh, it's really sad to see. Um, and that doesn't mean that you are anti-work, right? You can be pro-work and still want to work with dignity. And that's, again, why folks are forming unions. So in Buffalo, New York, Starbucks workers just formed their first union at a corporate-owned store. So now they're in the middle of negotiating what that contract will look like with Starbucks. Now, Starbucks has 220,000 employees across all of those corporate-owned stores. So you can imagine they are putting up one hell of a fight to make sure that this basically is dead on arrival. Now, here are some of the things that Starbucks did to try to kill uh, the union, um, the folks saying yes to a union. They made employees attend anti-union meetings where they would tell them, like, here are all the reasons why you should not say yes to joining a union. They sent managers in to monitor the stores where folks were voting to join a union or not. They also closed those stores for a period of time and said that they needed to be remodeled. And that was just ultimately a tactic to break those employees apart uh, so that they were no longer united and they were working in other stores. Now, these were all obvious tactics to slow the momentum of the organizers, to discourage folks to say yes to joining a union. And the former CEO of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, he even went to Buffalo uh, to make the case to talk to those employees. So when you have the former CEO coming in and saying, hey, don't do this, you know that it's going to be a huge impact to that company. Like you were doing no small thing uh, by attempting to unionize. Now, John Deere, the tractor company, workers there went on strike for five weeks uh, a couple months ago. Now, the company agreed to pay increases and making sure that new employees would receive a pension Again, they were doing that same kind of division thing that Kellogg's was doing where older workers were getting great perks and benefits, but new workers, younger workers, were not getting that same benefit. Um, Kaiser Permanente, the healthcare company, workers there went on strike. You got university workers who were going on strike. Over the course of Thanksgiving holiday, employees at Wirecutter, which is part of New York Times, uh, they went on a strike. BuzzFeed went on a strike. So you're seeing it also. So not only you're seeing it in manufacturing, you're seeing it on the news side as well. I think probably the most impactful, uh, biggest strike that we've seen this year is Amazon. So Amazon uh, in Bessemer, Alabama, those workers uh, fought to join a union. And here's what happened. So they ultimately it failed. Uh, late last month, the National Labor Relations Board ruled that Amazon hijacked the election process. So now that means that Amazon has to read, they have to redo that union election. Now, one of the wildest parts about Amazon's fight to defeat the union vote, the company got the town of Bessemer to change the traffic light so that the pro-union folks wouldn't have as much time to canvas workers as they were leaving the warehouse, right? So that traffic light was, I think, at, let's just say it was at 30 seconds before it went from red to green. 
Amazon changed it so it was like 10 or 15 seconds to go from red to green. Um, I mean, that's just, I mean, it's a brilliant tactic, but it also just shows like they are leaving no stone unturned and making sure that these union votes do not happen. Now, Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon, he's catching some heat because uh, they just had this big space trip uh, that took place Saturday. Now, this happened at the same time as six Amazon workers died in the warehouse collapse due to the tornadoes that I mentioned at the top of the hour. Now, of course, it doesn't matter what Bezos does. It's pretty much going to guarantee that folks are going to be mad and cause an uproar. But it's safe to say that Michael Strahan trip was probably not a good look when you've got folks dying in your warehouse. Um, so back to Amazon unionizing. Now, what's interesting about the reaction to Amazon employees trying to unionize is that Jeff Bezos has become this punching bag for the right. You know, you know, Bezos and Trump like hated each other, right? And so Republicans like Marco Rubio have publicly supported the Amazon workers, even though Rubio is by no means pro-union. Another area where we're seeing people unionize is back in September, uh, Dollar General, workers at Dollar General met with the retail union and they signed unionization cards. So then next step was the vote. Now, Dollar General flew in corporate execs to work in the store for the entire month, side by side with employees. So just imagining it's not just your district manager. It's like way high up. The person is working in the store with you. If that's not a level of intimidation, I don't know what is. So one of the workers, he's restocking the freezer and he's got too much inventory. And he's like, oh, bleep, bleep. Uh, you know, I don't know what to do with all this inventory. He curses but it wasn't at the exec. He was just talking to the exec. Now the exec says, oh, let me show you how to better manage the supply. Let me try to help you out. Seems like he's trying to be nice and do the right thing. But what happens next is the guy gets fired for cursing. And again, he wasn't cursing at the exec. He was just venting about a particular problem. So the vote to unionize at the Dollar General failed. The company, I think, did a pretty good job of scaring workers uh, into voting no. Now, what's unique about Dollar General, and you just heard the woman talking about how difficult uh, it was at Kellogg's as far as those long hours. Dollar General has a staff typically of six employees and one manager. Then that means there's little opportunity for time off, right? And then for a lot of these Dollar General stores, they're in places where there's not a lot of job options, right? Where you're traveling, you're driving 15, 20 miles to get to a good paying, decent paying job. So a lot of folks are just going to grin and bear it because they don't want to risk losing the few jobs that there are in their town. Now, one of the things the Dollar General folks were fighting for, was not a lot, this was like so simple. They were fighting to be reimbursed for their mileage when they were dropping off the the bank uh, daily deposit to the store to the bank. So they just wanted, you know, they wanted to be reimbursed for their mileage. Not a lot of money. Um, so I, I think this pandemic and just kind of everything that has happened is really making folks think long and hard about the sacrifices they are willing to make in order to make a buck. Uh, approval ratings for unions are at an all-time high. 
That's the most we've seen since the 1950s. There's a bill that passed in the House, uh, but it's not clear if it's going to actually go anywhere in the Senate that would strengthen unions. It's called the PRO Act, or Protecting the Right to Organize. Right now, there are a few Democratic senators who, if the vote were held today on that bill, uh, they would vote against it and therefore it would fail. Obviously, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are for it. I haven't checked to see if our two Georgia senators are for it, but I imagine they would be. Now, if Democrats lose the Senate next year, which is looking like it might happen, uh, the PRO Act will certainly go to the legislative graveyard. And this is another example of a piece of legislation that has nationwide support, but the folks in Washington won't act on it. Democrats are so risk-averse that they're not willing to just give their base reasons to come back out and support them in 2022 because they don't want to do something that's going to rock the boat uh, and, and antagonize corporate interest. Okay, so speaking of Democrats in 2022, Kamala Harris, the year is almost over. And the one person who I can imagine is praying every day for a better 2022 than they did in 2021 is Vice President Kamala Harris. I don't know if it's because she's a woman, uh, because she's black and Jamaican Indian, um, because it's both. uh, But she is so vilified. I mean, Hillary Clinton is vilified. Nancy Pelosi is vilified. AOC is vilified. And so I don't know if it's just a, you know, a strong Democratic woman thing or what. So Politico wrote this weird piece a couple of days ago about Kamala Harris being paranoid because she won't use Bluetooth headphones. I don't know if anybody saw this, but this was the weirdest thing. So Kamala uses wired headphones like a good Gen Zer. That's what the Gen Z folks do. And so folks were like, Kamala's being weird because she thinks Bluetooth is a security risk. News alert, it is a security risk. Yes, I use AirPods, but it is still a security risk. Now, when I saw Kamala back when she was running for president, she spoke in Atlanta to a group of black, mostly black women. And at the time, she was talking about how her campaign for president was receiving the most online attacks, hacking attempts. I mean, people were just trying to do everything they could through technology to tear her campaign down. So of course, I'm again, I'm not surprised that she's uh, being paranoid, uh, rightfully so. Now, Kamala has had a lot of staff turnover over the last few weeks. Some of this is to be expected. Uh, a lot of folks leave the White House at the end of year one. Um, but there's some concern that President Biden has not set her up for success, that he's giving her lose-lose portfolios, right? So something like dealing with the crisis at the border There's no win in that. It doesn't matter what she says or what she does. Folks are going to, Democrats are going to be mad at her. Republicans are going to be mad at her. Now, in the first couple of months of the administration, we saw Kamala with Joe Biden a lot. Um, But I guess folks were feeling like maybe we saw her too much with him and he needed to be his own man. And so the White House kind of pulled back. Now, the running joke is, You know, where is Kamala? Have you seen Kamala? Is Kamala still at the White House? Is she still the vice president? Now, her donors, 
And supporters have started publicly speaking out and saying, hey, we have got to stand up for her. And there's a push in the black community to stand up for her. Uh, a group of black women just met recently with the vice president to help her strategize uh, and for her to vent and to figure out what is going to what the next three years are going to look like. Now, I want you to take a listen to what Sharon Reed and Mike Hill from the Black News Channel had to say about black people supporting Kamala Harris. She's the vice president of the United States, Mike, mm -hmm. and she gets no respect. Mm -hmm. None. None. You know, and so at this point, mm -mm. we're because I talked to Misha Cross about this. Uh, I, the days all mm -hmm. run by, but recently and said, look, it, mm -hmm. isn't it time for us to flex? And what I meant by that is it's time for black people and black women. We're used to doing the heavy lift to rally behind. It does, I don't even care if you voted for her. You wanted someone else in the primary. That's not what we're talking about. Black mm -hmm. woman. We stand with you, sister. It's time for that. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. time to say no more. It's time to take an army, you know, like some other people do on some other seedier sides of some issues. It's time to take an army and say, no, you're not going to start spamming these idiot reporters who are writing about approval ratings. And just not. It's time to do that. And one of the and women are coming together, by the way, on her behalf. And one of the people doing mm -hmm. that is her lifelong friend. And sometimes you need people who've been with you. They've been mm -hmm. riding with you forever to say, oh, you not to, you're not about to do this. You're not about to do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We need to stand with each other, period. We need to do yeah. better when it comes to that. I'm not saying that black people don't support black because black people support black people we need to do a better job of doing that there's so much to do for anybody else to have our back there is so we can't talk about the fact that she doesn't uh have a a, a bluetooth uh, earphone that's stupid that's dumb that shouldn't even been a story uh if she's wearing chucks today or she's wearing uh uh, uh, uh timberlands tomorrow with her i don't care about all that i don't care about her pantsuits i care about what she's doing for this country and getting behind this black woman you said vice president woman vice president a black woman vice president. So I don't care about when people say about her approval ratings are down and low and all that type of stuff. So what? All right. 70% the, the of Republicans in this country don't even believe that she is the vice president. Okay. So there's that. So she ain't ever probably ever going to get past 50%. Uh, Joe Biden's never going to get past 50% because the nation is not united. This is not the United so if black folks rally behind her, it could very well save her image. Um, I mean, let's be real. When black people rock with you, you are going to go from losing to being undefeated. Uh, now, the moment they abandon you, it's a wrap. It's over. You are done. Uh, so that Harvard poll I mentioned earlier in the show. Now, they asked Democrats who they would prefer to be the 2024 nominee if Joe Biden decides not to run. 31% said Kamala Harris. Only 15% said Bernie Sanders. By the way, Bernie Sanders would be 83 years old in 2024. Oof, that's a lot. Um, so all I know is Kamala and her people need to figure out how to directly connect with black people. They need to get her on the road, get her in churches, get her in beauty salons, get her on podcasts. Hey, we're here. Get her on IG lives with influencers, 
and let folks hear what she's doing and why they should continue to support the Biden-Harris White House. All right, so in wrapping up, I didn't have time today to get into this, but Saturday night, voters in New Orleans elected a new sheriff. Uh, Susan Hudson, she defeated the incumbent sheriff who had been there since 2004. It was a huge upset. Both of them are black, uh, but Susan has never run for elected office. She's never even worn a law enforcement badge, right? She's not sworn. She's always been a civilian. Now, some of the problems facing the sheriff's office in New Orleans are similar to what Sheriff Pat Labatt has been dealing with in Fulton County. Now, the, New the New Orleans race, uh, plus I think last year's sheriff's races in Metro Atlanta, shows that Democrats can own public safety in a smart way, and it doesn't have to just be an issue that Republicans are seen as the subject matter experts on. All right, now, as we wrap up, if you're like me and you haven't bought any Christmas gifts yet, buy local. Uh, just avoid having to wait for something to be shipped. Uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go shop at some local stores. I'm going to try to make sure as much as I can that what I buy is woman-owned and black-owned. And then let me just say, practice a little patience with folks. Y'all, it's the holidays. Tip your servers a little bit extra. Give folks a little love, a little kindness, a little graciousness that goes a long way. Don't be a jerk. All right. I'm Saba. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to give us that five-star rating. Subscribe. Share the show with your friends. Until next week, have a good one. <laughs>